0: It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And uh, if you are hearing this, then that means I was able to locate an internet connection. So, yay, um, <laughs> because I am bloodied but not broken after the great migration. And if the uh, the audio quality here sounds a little bit different than previous episodes, it is because I am in the new house in the new room. I've put up the soundproofing as best as I could to get this thing going, but uh, I apologize cuz I can hear the echo in it and I'm sure you will too. I apologize for that. Uh I'm not finished, but uh also we ran into a bit of a hiccup with AT&T over the weekend when we were moving our service, pre-existing, we were moving it over to the new location. They said, "Oh, yes, we're in that neighborhood. It's fantastic." Okay, great. And uh then The move occurs on Saturday and I'm hanging back at the house. I'm waiting for the installation. And then, uh, you know, they miss the window and I call and they're like, oh no, they'll be there during the window. And I said, well, that's not possible because the window's now closed. And they're like, oh no, but they'll call before they get there. Okay, fine. So I wait another like two hours, call again. And then, uh, they bounce me around, sit on hold for about another hour and a half. And they say, well, there's a facility issue, a facility issue. And I said, well, whose facility? My facility or your facility? And they're like, we don't have any other information, but the technician went out there uh, and made this diagnosis of a facility issue yesterday. So they knew about this for 24 hours, didn't tell us, and uh, they said, we don't know when you're gonna have service. So I said, well, go ahead and cancel our service then because there's no point in me paying you for something you're not providing. And that sent us scrambling. And uh, so I await the charter or sorry, uh, they just they were bought. So now Spectrum, I'm awaiting Spectrum to come in a couple of hours. And if they do, then this podcast is getting uploaded and you're hearing it like you are in the future hearing before the Internet is hooked up. And so if you're hearing this, it means we have Internet. <clears throat> it's only, you know, my livelihood. That's OK. Um <laughs> I want to thank uh, patrons to the program like uh, like, for example, Juanita and Pamela and Stephen, Jim and Robbie, Jan, Daryl, Daniel, Jocelyn, Gary, Trent, David. All of them are patrons. You can become one as well. Get exclusive content at the dot com. All right. So I actually have had this audio for a little while. And thank goodness I didn't use it before now because I might not have uh, had any uh, show prep ability. because of said internet issues. But luckily for all of us, I have audio from uh, a, apparently, this is apparently a public record that we're not allowed to share. Yeah, it's it's one of those really weird things when it comes to the whole critical race theory, anti-racism, white fragility, you know, critical theories, critical legal studies, like all of these things. There's always some sort of, nuance it's very complex you see so when the uh, leading anti-racism figure in america goes on a zoom call with hundreds of charlotte mecklenburg school officials to talk about anti-racism you have to get a FOIA request in there which i did i asked uh the charlotte mecklenburg school's representative can i get a copy of the video they then gave me a um A link directly to the video. I'm not allowed to share it. Can't record it. Can't download it. Can't do anything. But I recorded it on the audio side. So I have the audio, but I'm not allowed to share all of it because this is against the terms of the deal that the Charlotte Mecklenburg School District entered into with Ibram X. Kendi. So they entered into a deal with him. And his people said, well, we didn't think this was going to be, you know, public information. Well, why wouldn't it be public information? This isn't personnel related. You're giving a a lecture, an interview to like 800 Charlotte Mecklenburg school officials who are on this call. We're watching this video. And you're telling me the public doesn't get to see it? Why? This is one of the things that's always kind of a head scratcher for me. So many of these people are not uh, not too cool with the public seeing the stuff that they are doing, particularly when it comes to the schools, which is weird because if it's not being used in schools, then why would you have an objection to talking about this book that's completely unrelated to what's going on in schools? Which, of course, it's not unrelated. It actually is being taught in the schools because you hear it in the questions that these principals ask Kendi. Now, if you were to read just the Charlotte Observer and the uh, WFAE, the NPR affiliate in Charlotte, you would believe that there was not really anything about critical race theory at all in this discussion. It was just about his book. There was one question and he was like, oh, people don't know what they're talking about, which is the common, uh, that's the common deflection that is used by critical race theorists and All of the offshoots and the cottage industry of trainings and diversity inclusion uh, uh, events that are all built around this theory. Okay, so like I understand why people on the, you know, on the left, the progressives, I understand why they always say to, you know, critics of critical race theory, well, define it. Why don't you define it? It's a way to deflect away from the uh, the actual discussion of the things that are at the core of the philosophy, and uh, also at the uh, core of the people who are espousing, you know, the anti-racism philosophy uh, and and its application through all of these institutions, not just in education, but it is an anti-capitalist, it is a neo-Marxist philosophy. And so you guys can call it whatever you want, okay? And that's usually what I say to them. Like, when they say, well, why don't you define it? I'm like, I'll tell you what, you give me a definition and we'll just go with that because I literally don't care how you attempt to define it either. I'm not going to play your game when you say you need to define it. No, I don't actually, because I know what it is. Now I'm going to assume you too know what it is. And so I'm not going to you know, demand that you define it. But if you're going to demand it of me, then I'll tell you what, because I'm a nice guy and just for the sake of the argument, I'll let you define it. You go right ahead and define it and I'll just go with whatever you decide. See, and it just robs them of that attack and then once they define it now they're in trouble because once they've defined it now i get to just move on from there and talk about what it actually is you see um so despite two times this is the story by the way from anna maria della costa at the charlotte observer i think that's one person well maybe two but it doesn't say and in the byline anyway Despite two top North Carolina Republicans issuing an angry statement last month charging that Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools was, quote, embracing a discriminatory ideology, video released Friday of the event in question shows something different. No, see, the the ideology is, in fact, discriminatory. That's the whole purpose. That's what equity is. Equity is not equality. And by the way, Ibram X. Kendi says so that equity is not equality. I've got the audio. We'll play it in a bit. But this is the way the Charlotte Observer frames the event, that despite two top North Carolina Republicans issuing an angry statement, so this is kind of like Republicans pounce, Republicans seize, right? Despite the fact that they say it's this, it's totally not. They didn't even see the event. Well, nobody could see the event because... Yeah, they they locked it down. They didn't let the public even know. It just, it leaked out. It got out that this event occurred. And then when it got publicized by a parent's group, then all of a sudden media was like, huh, well, what is this? And people who know Kendi know what he's about and know that his ideology discriminates. So it is a discriminatory ideology. Critical race theory, this is the story, Critical race theory was specifically discussed for less than two minutes out of a more than 40-minute long session during a keynote address from Ibram X. Kendi to Charlotte Mecklenburg School's leaders back in June. The politicians, N.C. Senator Phil Berger and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson had claimed that, quote, this is the state's second largest school district embracing a discriminatory ideology by paying $25,000 to learn from critical race theory's most prominent adherent. None of that's false. None of that's false. They say, oh, they claimed this, but none of that is false. It's not their claim. Those, Those are true things that they've said. Kendi addressed more than 800 district and school leaders focused on a platform of anti-racism and diversity. So the thing that he's, that he's brought in to discuss is the very thing that Berger and Robinson are talking about. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, has been a key study point for administration uh, for administrators for the last year. For the last year they've been talking about his book. You're going to tell me this isn't in the schools? All the administrators, principals leadership in charlotte mecklenburg schools that they're that they're not talking about this they're not embedding this into the school district and they've just been studying this book for a year give me a break now speaking of getting a break i can give you a break well general equipment rental can they'll give you a break on your first rental 10 percent off go to general equipment rental for any project you are looking to do whether it is a big project like uh maybe you need to you know dig up a whole bunch of uh, dirt, move it all around, do some drainage issue uh, uh, mitigation. Uh, They can help you with that. They can give you the right pieces of equipment. They can show you how to use them. And uh, they also sell all sorts of outdoor power equipment from Husqvarna and Honda. I picked up one of the weed eaters And uh, now that I have the house, I can start weed eating. Well, I have to charge the battery first. They do have gas powered as as well, gas powered uh, equipment as well. They've got chainsaws and trimmers, hedge clippers. They've got blowers. They've got uh, mowers as well, like the uh, auto mower. This thing is really cool. It's like, it looks like the Batmobile, but it's a Roomba for the yard. It's a yardba and it just rides all around and cuts the grass all the time. Yeah, you'll never cut the grass again. How awesome is that? Go to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. They are family-owned and operated for three generations. Check out their website at generalrents.com. That's generalrents.com, and think outside your toolbox. All right, so let me get to some of this audio here. This is Sonia Gant. She was the former anchor at uh, the NBC affiliate TV station in Charlotte. Uh, She now works for the CMS Foundation and she led the discussion for CMS.
1: Good morning, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. I am delighted to welcome you on behalf of the leadership of Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools, uh, which is the 18th largest school district in the country. Um, I share that with you so that you know that we are a large district. Um, And we have leaders who have really gone uh, very deep into how to be an anti-racist. Really? Um, Your presence with us today culminates a year-long book study. And I must tell you that each month, uh, these meetings have generated a great deal of discussion. And our principal leaders and our book facilitator, uh, the facilitators of the book study, have made my job extremely easy today because there were quite a few questions uh, that came in once people realized you'd be joining us. So I say all that to say, welcome to you. We're glad to have you with us today.
2: Well, thank you, Sonia. I'm glad that we're having this discussion.
0: Did you hear that, that, they, that leaders have been have, have been talking about this for a year? They've gone very deep, Her words, they've gone very deep into how to be an anti-racist. So maybe we should have an understanding of what an anti-racist is, uh, because Kendi has a pretty specific idea of what an anti-racist is. And I've watched hours of this guy now in his public uh, events and such. And so I've got a couple different uh, versions of this answer that he gives, but he is usually asked at the beginning of all of these discussions about what it means to be an anti-racist. Please define the term. And here he is. Speaking of what anti-racists do, how would you define anti racist for people who have not
2: cracked open this book? Sure. So I think in order to define anti-racist, I must talk about the more popular term, not
0: racist. All right, let me just stop right here for a second, because if anybody is ever going to try to define a term for you by telling you what it is not, chances are that you're getting worked, okay? Because words have definitions, right? And you don't necessarily define a term like anti-racist, if you're trying to define it as something it is not, then you should probably define it as not racist. Right? That would make some bit of sense because it would be the anti-racist. Your if your word comprises the negation of the thing, then you should define the thing. But he doesn't do that. He tells you, well, there's this other thing that people get it confused with, but it's not that. Does he actually ever describe and define anti racism? Well, let's take a listen. So he's gonna say this is it's not not racist. Anti-racism is or anti-racist is not the same as not racist. Here's why.
2: Which stems from the, the phrase, I am not racist, which stems from when anyone in this society is charged with being racist, their response is, I'm not racist, whether that person is from the far right or far left you know, across the ideological board, when, when people are charged with saying and doing something that's racist, their response is, I'm not racist, or, or some say, I can't be racist. Mm-hmm. I can't be racist because I'm a person of color, mm-hmm. because I'm a liberal, because I have a black uh, friend, uh, friend yeah. so on and so forth. And, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and, and so historically, the phrase not racist, the identity of not racist has been expressed by eugenicists, has been expressed by Jim Crow segregationists, has been expressed by white nationalists, even white nationalists who are writing a manifesto Mm -hmm. to then go and shoot at dozens of people at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, write in their manifesto, I'm not racist. Mm -hmm. And so for me, fundamentally, we should not be identifying ourselves as not racist when white nationalists are identifying themselves Mm -hmm. in that way and and Mm eugenicists. We should also be recognizing that that it fundamentally has functioned as a term of denial.
0: So there you go. It has fundamentally functioned as a term of denial. When you say you are not something, that has fundamentally functioned as a term of denial. Thank God we've got somebody like Ibram X. Kendi to tell us that when you say you're not something, that that is a denial. Because I don't know what we would do. How would we have interpreted our own language like this? After all these years, we finally have some clarity. <laughs> this, is, this is hucksterism. What he has described is prejudice. And yes, people can behave in ways that are racist they are kind of racist, they're prejudiced, they're bigoted. Yeah, people can behave in all sorts of ways like that, absolutely. And people behave that way, like the, the uh, contradictions were even greater 100 years ago. Like the abolitionists and their different views on things like, yes, they people are complex. And he actually acknowledges this uh, some time ago in in a different uh, speech. But notice what he hasn't done. He hasn't defined for us what anti-racism is. So how about this? Let's go at it from a different uh, perspective. How about um, this question came to him at an Aspen Institute discussion? You talked about the importance of defining racism. But, I, but I, unless I missed it, which is possible, I didn't, I didn't hear your personal definition. Is there,
2: is there one that you would offer us? Like, how do you define racism? Sure, so racism, I would define it um, as a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Uh, A collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas.
0: Okay. So obvious, right? If you're looking to define a term, you just use the term in the definition and it all makes sense. This is, this is silly. This is just silly, right? A collection of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. So how about we break that down for him? Because he couldn't uh, see fit to do it for the audience. So a collection of racist policies. So first off, let's take the word racist out of it because he's saying, like he was asked to define racism. So policies, okay, laws, rules, codes, regulations, right? A collection of them. So not just one, it's got to be a collection of these policies, laws. This is going to become pretty critical. So keep this in mind, the word law, okay, when discussing this critical thing. So a collection of these rules, codes, laws, policies, a collection of them. Then he says that lead to racial uh, inequity. Not inequality, but inequity. So, what is inequity? It is a lack of fairness or justice. And racial, when you throw it in front of inequity, conjures the disparate outcome argument, which we've gone over many times on the show here. Uh, which is, if you are looking at some results, whether they be test scores or admissions to colleges or um, uh, you know uh, earnings in a household or home ownership or whatever it might be, you're looking at any outcome, and you see a difference in uh, racial data. so there are more people of a certain well, it's only it only goes one way because like you could look at the NBA and say, well, that is a racially disparate outcome, right the, the the number of NBA players who are black are larger, that population is larger than the general population. And so you could make the argument under under the disparate outcome rubric that that is a racist league that they're preventing white people that's systemic they're preventing whites from playing that would be the argument except it's inverted right so if you have uh admissions to a college and there aren't you know enough black people uh to mirror their population in the in the population at large then you would say well that's a disparate outcome and therefore that is a structurally inherently institutional racisty place right and they need to do stuff to fix that and so that's what conjures that's what's conjured up for me at least when he says that lead to racial inequity this is the disparate outcome argument and then he says substantiated by racist ideas so substantiated means provide evidence to support right or to prove uh the truth of something right so that's so to prove the racist ideas but he never defines racism so he just uses it (laughs) <laughs> he just uses it in the definition of the word, which is silly. The dictionary describes it as prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership uh, in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. the uh, The other definition is the belief that different races possess di- uh, distinct characteristics abilities or qualities especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one another and that's the definition that i grew up learning that a racist is to somebody who believes <clears throat> that uh you know one race is genetically superior innately superior or inferior to another and that is abhorrent that we are all equal Right, that we all are, that we because we're all individuals, we're all created in the image of and likeness of God. So anyway, this is the classic definition of racism that he is apparently ignoring, doesn't want to describe it or define it as such. He's talking about collections of policies, which again, see, it directs you to the institutional argument because if you can be directed towards that, then you can work to tear down systems, and that is what he's really about, and that is what the work of all critical race theorists is about. And all anti-racist theorists, this is what they're about. The tearing down of the institutions. Why? Because they oppose the institutions of capitalism. That's... Kendi says this. He's an anti-capitalist. He says capitalism is racism. And racism is capitalism. And he wants them both to die an unnatural death. This is their work. And if you don't understand that by now, and if your media people are feeding you stuff like what NPR is feeding and what the Charlotte Observer is feeding you, you need to find some different media sources because they're not telling you the whole story. Now I will tell you the whole story about Mattress Man. It'll take some time. Okay, all right, let me give you the abbreviated one. So Mattress Man, Chuck owns Mattress Man, locally owned and operated. He hires veterans. He does a lot of charity work. He gives mattresses to shelters that need it. uh, And he gives great deals to you in the process. He's got uh, great service great products. You can actually score a free box spring at Mattress Man when you buy a mattress from their Biltmore collection. And uh, they're also doing the deal with uh, you can get a king for the price of a queen. Head on over to Mattress Man. We were actually over, we went to IHOP in Arden um, yesterday morning. And so we're hanging out in front of the store for a little while. Well, it was early, so they were not open at that point. But they are open seven days a week, so you can walk into any of their four locations, the one in Arden behind the IHOP or uh, the two in Asheville. they got one in Hendersonville. You can shop online at mattressmanstores.com. And, by the way, when you go there, you can click on the financing link at the top of the page, and you can apply and get pre-approved before you even walk into the store so you know you know exactly what your, uh, what your finances will cover. Uh, they've got great... Flexible financing options for everybody, so don't worry about that. Synchrony Finance actually offers zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. So uh, go to mattressmanstores.com, check it out. Five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, buy local, and sleep better. All right, back to the Charlotte Observer story about the appearance that Mr. Kendi made to the charlotte mecklenburg school leaders uh they say that uh senator berger and uh, lieutenant governor robinson leaped on the issue and they seized they pounced if you will after a local mom's group without hearing any part of kendi's presentation to cms leaders posted about it on social media like oh how dare they respond to some mom's group all these people are ignorant they have no idea what he even said Leave, leave kendi alone But Kendi mentioned critical race theory sparingly during the presentation, according to a review by the Observer. On Friday, in response to a public records request from the Charlotte Observer, the district provided footage of Kendi's presentation. The district, however, says it signed a restrictive contract with Kendi, which they claim prevents them from sharing the entire recording. CMS officials said they would distribute the video under North Carolina public records law, but the district made footage available in a private link on YouTube that prevents the observer from making it readily available to the public. $25,000, okay, that was paid to Kendi for a 45-minute appearance on a Zoom call. Twenty-five dollars taxpayer money, and we're to believe that we don't get to see that. This training... That has gone on for a year. This book club with 800 of uh, of Charlotte Mecklenburg schools, administrators, principals, leadership, all of them, they've all been doing this for a year. They bring in the keynote guy who wrote the book they've been studying for a year, paid him 25 large for a Zoom call. Oh, and then, by the way, he went and talked to kids afterwards, and we don't have video of that either, because that's always, that's always healthy, right? To have some guy come in and talk to all of the kids, <laughs> not all of them, some. Some of them, uh, they, they they had some, uh, what was it called? the uh, There was like a group of them, I forget what the name, uh, Generation Nation, student leaders in Generation Nation, and they got to speak with them. So we don't have any video of that. We don't know what he told those kids, but you don't have a right to know that, by the way. This isn't your beef. What do you care? They're just your kids. <laughs> you should, who cares what the schools are, are uh, inculcating from the top down with this kind of book club studying and such? We don't need to provide that. We told Kendi this was all between us. You don't need to see this. I'm sorry, I don't care. I I don't care. I've pulled sound bites from it. I don't know what the fair use rules are with the video, but CMS calls it a public record. And so I'm going with the public record. I'm treating it like it's a city council meeting because to me it is. Um, Now, maybe that means Kendi comes after me and sues me for whatever use I'm going to play here. So be it. Don't throw me in the briar patch. Um, By the way, his book was called Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. The book is also listed on the 2021 Charlotte Mecklenburg Virtual High School Summer Reading List. Um, In the press release, Senator Berger and Lieutenant Governor Robinson took phrases out of Kendi's book, Without knowing what was said during Kendi's presentation at the summer leadership conference, Berger's office did not return a request for comment from The Observer on Friday. Quote, to say I'm troubled by this insidious discriminatory doctrines creep into the North Carolina public schools is an understatement, Berger said in a press release. Children. Must not be taught that it's appropriate to engage in present discrimination, which is what Kendi has said, that you need to engage in present discrimination in order to atone for past discrimination. So he is promoting a discriminatory ideology, and there isn't any amount of deflection and tap dancing that his defenders and proponents of critical race theory, you cannot deny what he is describing. Because he is explicit in that. He may not be explicit in describing and defining anti-racist, but he describes the remedies to inequity is discrimination, because that's what equitable treatment means, not equal treatment, equitable treatment. And in Kendi's book, this is hilarious, this is The Observer at the very end of this article, where they begrudgingly acknowledge that Burr and Robinson, the Republicans who are criticizing this that their criticism is in fact true in Kendi's book. He does cite his opposition to capitalism and calls for present discrimination to address past discrimination, but neither came up during the CMS talk. Oh, well then as long as it didn't come up and we're just telling kids to go read it, well, you know, what could go wrong? They're telling kids to go read a book that is anti-capitalist. They're, they're instructing 800 leaders in the district in a philosophy, in an ideology that calls capitalism racism and racism capitalism, and both need to be put put to death. Unnatural causes is what he calls it. So don't tell me that this isn't in the schools and, oh, no, you guys are blowing this out of proportion. We just want to teach history. No, you don't. This is way more pervasive and insidious than that. And the criticism coming from the Republican leadership is accurate. It is accurate. All right, let me get back to some of the audio here. Sonia Gant then asked uh, why he weaved his own personal stories into the book, which is a very academic book. He said he did this because he wanted to show that we should be striving to transform ourselves so we can then transform society.
2: And I really wanted to to sort of, show the way that an individual can, can either think that the problem, the racial problem is Black people um, or Latinx people or Native people or a particular racial group, or could see the problem as this larger sort of structures you know, of racism.
0: and And that's a false choice. That's what you call that one. That's a false choice. It's not an either or. You you can either see it as a problem with black people or Latinx people, or you could see it as structural. Yeah. Or the third option, which is you can see it as an individual thing where some people behave in terrible ways because that's what people do. People behave in terrible ways, and we should try to appeal to people's better angels, and we should try to reward people for behaving nice and good, and we should, you know, not reward people if they don't. Like, there are other ways to think about this rather than just the two he has outlined. So beware of anybody that offers you the false choice and makes you pick one or the other.
2: And so, you know, I thought by by sharing my story, by, by, by people seeing how the more I realized that the problem was not black people or black women or black poor people or on and on the more i realized that the problem was racism the more anti-racist i was sort of being (laughs) but i also wanted people to sort of see that this is a journey and 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 unfortunately you know we are all taught the same ideas about let's say, black inferiority, we're, what? we're taught the same ideas about white superiority, what we're taught uh, to see racial inequality as normal. And and so it, it takes some time for us to see it as completely abnormal. Some of, I'm sure some of the folks on this call, just sort of, you know, since they were young, they were being anti-racist, but I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't that person. So I wanted to show my journey. <laughs>
0: he does this like nervous laugh there too. I'm not really sure what to make of that. I think it's a tell about something, but I will leave that for uh, the professional poker players. Um, Now uh, here's something. If you are looking for a professional to get you real U S military surplus, then you go to Tim at old Grouch's military surplus. He's been doing it and his dad was doing it before him, the family shop downtown Clyde uh, on main street. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. And he's got all of your military surplus needs right there. Backpacks and, uh, you know, clothing and and so like camouflage stuff and hats from, you know, all the services. Uh, he's got really cool maps as well. So if you're looking for a way to decorate the man cave, you know, maybe get some battlefield maps from various wars is really cool. Canteens and camp stoves and rain ponchos and the first responder kit that he's got, like more than uh, 350 components are in this uh, kit and there's room so once you pull like a band-aid out you will be able to like repack it because there's plenty of room <laughs> in the bag though that's the case like you ever get these kits and as soon as you take one thing out and then it never fits right again to pack it all back up uh, and these are actually packed by North Carolina folks so uh, head on down to Old Grouch's Military Surplus or check them out online at oldgrouch.com so all right back to the, uh, the Kendi interview here on CMS's uh, leadership call um he makes the argument here that as i mentioned earlier that humans are complex and we can be racist and anti-racist we can be both
2: so we're human beings right we're we're not machines you know we're not sort of logs and the the be- the, the greatest thing about humans and potentially the most difficult things about humans is is that we're deeply complex and in many ways, we're deeply contradictory, right? We can think we are one way <laughs> when we actually, you know, in many ways are, are are another way, right? This is
0: some deep stuff, right? I mean, this is really, I mean, it's stretching the bounds of intellect right here. We really are being forced to confront some stuff with this kind of deep thinking. Don't, don't you agree? But I think as it
2: relates to this specific issue, I, I think that We, there's so many different elements of it. So I think first, we use the term racism and racist interchangeably when we should not. So really the term racist is an individualized term while racism is structural and systemic. Uh, Secondly, I think we are very perpetrator-centered and and so as opposed to victim-centered and so when we put the locus of our consideration on victims the question for us as individuals is is what i'm saying and doing uh bringing relief to disproportionately poor native people or not <laughs> right and so it's a it's a different question and so that's really i'm trying to sort of shift you know you know our, our focus but ultimately I think in studying really the history of racism, but more specifically the history of people who were being racist, what I found is you had abolitionists, you had you had white abolitionists as an example, who on the one hand would say things like, slavery is evil and it needs to end right now. Mm-hmm. And when they would say that, and then they would support policies uh, and organizations that Ended slavery immediately, they were being anti-racist. Mm-hmm. But some of those same white abolitionists would also say that slavery is so dehumanizing mm-hmm. that it has made black people into brutes. Brute. They're subhuman brutes. And so therefore, yes, they they should be slavery should be abolished, but those black people are not ready for civil and voting rights. So the same people, <laughs> right? You know, just as
0: you have some people today. Right, hang on a second. Before I get to the some people today, does this strike you again? Does this strike you again as something that is, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. This is like this is like the people who attack Christians and they're like, you know, Jesus probably wasn't a blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy from Iowa. In your face, Christian. And most Christians are like, yeah, we already knew that. He's from the Middle East. <laughs> right? Like, this idea, like, they come, like... I get the sense that he came to realize something and he thinks it's the most important thing ever. And oh my gosh, didn't anybody else see this? And everybody else is like, yeah, dude, we, yeah, absolutely. Especially people from a hundred, 200 years ago, walking contradictions about all sorts of stuff. Absolutely. Because they were raised in a different time. You don't have, we don't have much understanding about the ways I've talked about this before. The other day when I um, interviewed Ian Campbell the, uh, uh, the now former site manager at the Historic Latta Plantation. And, uh, you know, we were talking about this very thing about the psychological abuse that people endured um, and what that did to their interpersonal relationships for generations, like the lasting impacts of that. So like I am open to these discussions, the ideas and such. Uh and, and like I'm sympathetic and in some cases I agree with some of these things. But this is not this is not a radical new notion that oh my gosh, the people who worked to abolish slavery, they also had some kind of racist ideas as we understand that now. Yeah. That's kind of the whole point of progress I thought you progressives were all about. Let me finish the clip here. Who,
2: on the one hand, will say, you know what? It is absolutely the case that there's a problem, that there's massive disparities in school funding, that predominantly white schools, on average, get way more funding than predominantly black schools. That's a problem. We need to end that. And so when they make that case, they're being anti-racist. But then on the other hand, they believe that a predominantly white school is inherently superior <laughs> to a predominantly black school. They believe that that white teachers are uh, superior to, to to black teachers. They believe that it's not just a resource disparity. Uh, anyway, I think everybody knows this.
0: <laughs> and I and I don't know what happened there. He just like pulled the ripcord on that, or maybe jumped down the escape hatch. Maybe he realized as he was kind of working into this huge indictment of the government K-12 model of education, he realized, oh, crap, I'm talking to a government K-12 education establishment. (laughs) Maybe he forgot who he was talking to at some point before he realizes that he's indicting the entire system. So I watched this video and my bias has me looking at this through the lens of he's making an argument to destroy the entire K-12 government system. And I might be on board with him for that. Let's do this, Kendi. Dr. Kendi, sorry. <clears throat> let's do this. Like, you want to you tear this whole thing down? You want to get rid of the, the government-run monopoly K-12 education model? I am so there for it. I am so there for it. Uh, so I would say, let's have the money follow the kids, right? I mean that just makes sense. This way, everybody will have the same amount of funding. You can go to the same. You can go to the same schools, different schools, whatever you wherever you want to go. Right? Um, he he actually goes into this. He's asked at the very end what kind of a school he'd like to send his own daughter to. So wait till you hear this answer. Now, by the way, if you are a teacher, you can keep more of your own money when you buy or sell your house. Did you know that you can? If you Hook up with Rowena Patton in the Homes for Heroes program. Uh, that's how you keep 25% of the realtor commission. And she's given back like $800,000 to local educators, but also healthcare officials or professionals rather. Um, who else? Members of the military, veterans, active duty, retirees, police officers, firefighters. Right. These are the eligible professions to be part of Homes for Heroes. So buying or selling, keep more of your own money. And get your house sold quickly and for more money. She has homes at all price points if you are looking. She got us our house here. We couldn't be happier. Give her a call, 828-333-4483. That's 828-333-4483. Or go to her website, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. So um, this is what, so far, you should really be getting an understanding here of uh, Kendi's... um, well, I will say it like this. This is not particularly scholarly, or it it doesn't have a lot of intellectual heft, okay? As I said, I have listened to now several hours of Kendi in different appearances, different locations and venues, and I have come to the conclusion that I agree with uh, the economist uh, from Brown University and the podcaster guy, Glenn Lowry, who called Kendi a lightweight. <laughs> he called him a lightweight. I do. I like. I can't help it. The stuff he's saying, is not particularly enlightening. He he's. I I know I use this example and I have before, but it's like George W. Bush, where he would say these cliches that are cliches like everybody knows these cliches and he would always frame them like you know we have a saying where I come from and then he would proceed to mangle the cliche that we all know but he would tell them to us as if we've never heard them before right he would have this affectation this tone of voice and this delivery that would communicate and convey this idea that we were hearing this all for the first time and like dude we all know that cliche what are you talking about that's not just where you come from so anyway, a bit later, Kendi then says, most of the time, that people he argues with, which is I found that's kind of surprising because one of the knocks on Kendi is that he doesn't actually debate people. Um, but anyway, he says he says most of the time when he, he, he hears people arguing over this stuff, you know, what is or is not racist, he says, what they're really arguing about is the the very definition of the word racist. When people say to me something is quote, not racist, I don't actually
2: say no it is, I actually ask them. Okay, so how do you define racist? When, when, when someone says that idea about Black women is, quote, not racist, I ask, okay, so, so what is a racist idea? When, when someone says that policy that's, that's leading to, to students of color uh, you, you know, being underrepresented you know, in, in highly specialized tracks, and, and someone says that's not racist, then I say, okay, so how do you define a racist idea? And you know you know how folk typically respond, Sonia. They don't even know, <laughs> right? They can't even define those terms that they're using to identify something in society.
0: Okay, I'm just I'm just gonna call BS on that. I, I I think these arguments he's having are for the most part just constructs of his imagination. Seriously, like who are you arguing with? In what venue? In what setting? Does somebody say? Uh, hey, you know, I I say something and, uh, you know, Kendi's like, that's racist and no, it's not, All right, well then we should define racist and the people are like, I don't know really? I've never met a person who could not offer a definition of racism well, uh, except for Kendi of course Okay, cheap shot, it was anti-racism, but still, he couldn't offer that. Anyway, uh, like, I'm not I'm not believing this story that every time he talks to people, or more often than not, when he talks to people and he gets into all of these debates with people who say racisty things around him, and he says, that's racist, and then they have like, oh, we need to define the term, and then they can't do it. I, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not really buying it. Now, Sonia Gant then asks him, uh, well, can you define the terms equity- Social justice and anti racism. So he starts off with social justice and he says these are efforts to create an equitable society for all people, for all social groups in particular. An equitable, so social justice is to get an equitable society. Okay. Anti racism, he says, is a powerful collection of policies that lead to racial equity and are substantiated by ideas of racial equality. As we went over earlier, not really a definition. And finally, equity, he says, is ensuring that different groups have similar amounts of resources or respect or value on the same level which he says is different than equality, which is rendering the same for different groups.
2: I think probably the best
0: example of an equitable
2: policy and distinguishing it from a, a, a policy of equality is the decision of the U.S. government to first recognized that elderly Americans were dying at the highest rates from COVID-19. They were dying at much higher rates than let's say, you know, younger people. So what the US government decided to do, which was an equitable approach, let's provide vaccine to the group that is dying at the highest rate, <laughs> which are elderly people. Now that's called equity. That's not equality because equality would have said, let's provide it to all people of all ages at the same time, in the same way. And uh, and what's ironic is I didn't see a bunch of people protesting that that was reverse discrimination against young people. But as soon as we started saying, well, you know, Black people are dying at the highest rates too, so they should also receive the vaccine the, the vaccine first, Suddenly it was oh that's what that's not that's that's not equality and that's reverse discrimination.
0: Okay. See what he does there? He he conflates the death rates between the elderly and uh, the racial uh groups. The elderly were way more likely to die. They were living in congregate facilities and such and I remember when all of this was happening, I was doing this every day. Um, I'm not aware of anybody that was saying, hey, we need to make sure we get all the vaccines to black people first. That's first of all. I don't remember anybody making those arguments. I do remember people talking about how COVID was affecting the black community. But I also understand because, see, I read a lot of stuff and listen to a lot of people that were debating this stuff at the time. And, oh, by the way, uh, I talk to people. Black people included, and a lot of them didn't want the vaccine, and they didn't think the coronavirus was really an issue. They they thought that they you know thought it was a rona, the, the rona, right? There was a dismissal of its severity. You know who else did that dismissal of the severity? A lot of people on the right as well. Yeah, a lot of people on the right, the political right, they dismissed the uh, the severity of it, and they, they they dismissed the concerns about it. They don't want the vaccines now. They don't want them now. So. How much of this, and then, of course, we get the argument, well, this is because of the historical, uh, you know, experimentation that's been done on, uh, like the Tuskegee experiments and stuff on African Americans and you know, government abuse of this population. By the way, the the political right agrees with that assessment and says, yes, you should not trust the government to be doing these types of experiments on people. So they don't want the shot for largely the same reason that a lot of black people do not want the shot. So these people are making decisions for themselves, right? Old people trapped in nursing homes when, you know, Governor Cuomo uh pipes in all of the uh the people with the virus, like that's a different cohort. But look, I understand the argument he's making, this analogy he's making. I do. And this is why I said like in some cases, I am open to be persuaded to certain aspects of these things because if you have a population like let, let's say instead of let's say instead of um old people that it was for some reason or another this virus was genetically engineered. I'm sorry the virus was somehow or another predisposed to attack a certain racial demographic. And it was only killing that one racial demographic, right? Then yes, you could, you should be directing those resources to fight that virus in that population. Absolutely. And that's why the first focus was the elderly. And when the vaccines came along and there was a limited supply, you go right for them first. But then the next waves, like who were being affected, well, are people being affected because they're being exposed because they don't believe that it is a risky proposition to go about their lives? Or are they being affected because they're frontline essential workers and they're more likely to be working in these environments, right? Well, that's why we gave the frontline essential workers the first dibs on the vaccines, right? Wasn't that the point of that? Now... A lot of people forget the point of the roof on your house is to protect everything in the house. And most people don't even remember it until like it starts leaking. You've ignored it for so long. And now you've got real infrastructure problems in your house. So do what any rational sane person would do, which is to call Balkan Roofing and uh, have them come on out. They will assess the roof. And if you need a new roof, you can get one for as low as $69 a month. Uh, and uh, if you don't need a new roof, maybe you just need some spot repair, they can do that for you. Uh, and maybe you don't need any repairs at all. Maybe it just looks weird because, you know, it's really hot. And some uh, uh, roof designs, like with truss systems and such, uh, they kind of look wavy. Your roof is fine. It's just that's that's like a normal thing. So uh, Balkan can tell you all of that. Uh, give them a call at 628-0390, family-owned and operated, award-winning. They keep winning awards from GAF, the largest roofing shingle manufacturer in North America. Yeah, they keep winning awards. They got like three straight years. Uh, and only like 2% of roofers even qualify to be considered for these awards and they've won them 3 times in a row. So give them a call at 628-0390 or go to balkanroofing.com that's b a l k e n roofing.com. Now I mentioned earlier um Candy spends a lot of time talking about racist policies because this is about the structural racism, right? But who makes policies? Think about this. Who actually constructs policies, rules, codes, regulations especially as it pertains to education, but also in the law. Who does that? Lawmakers. Lawmakers. So when people say, oh, you don't understand what you're talking about because the critical race theory, that's a legal theory. Right. Legal theories written by lawmakers. Right. Totally on board with all of that. You see? Um, I got more audio on this. Maybe we'll do another episode uh, later on this week. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. And uh, remember, subscribe to the podcast at thepetecalendarshow.com. I'll talk with you later, and uh, don't break anything while I'm gone.